How do you respond to the invitation of God to join in his mission? Too often, we respond just like Moses at the burning bush, with a long list of reasons why we couldn't possibly be the right person. And the Lord's response to Moses' excuses is instructive for you and me as well. Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, senior pastor here at the church, and I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit will do in your life as you listen to this message. As a community of faith here, we're passionate about helping people hear and respond to the invitation of God in their life and join in His mission to restore everything in Jesus. In today's message, we listen in to God's invitation to Moses to join in the rescue of the Israelites from Egypt, with special attention to how God responds to Moses' excuses. So this morning's Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 3, if you'd like to follow along. Just the first 10 verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, Good morning. Welcome, it's good to have you here this morning. Uh, just, uh, I guess, by way of an announcement, uh, this is, uh, in this series in Exodus, occasionally we're actually going to be doing a slightly different sermons morning and night, and today is the first of those examples. I'm going to be preaching out of these passages this morning, and then tonight, Jodine is going to be preaching more generally on the theme of the call of God. Uh, so we'll try to let you know when these things are coming, but there will be kind of, shall we say, two podcasts this week. So if you're interested in hearing what Jodine has to say about that theme, uh, you can come along tonight uh, or give that a listen sometime during the week as well. And we'll be doing that several times in this series as we unpack some of these themes uh, that get introduced for us uh, in the midst of these readings. And if you have your Bibles with you, though, and want to keep it open to Exodus chapter 3, uh, that would be great. 
So the narrative of Exodus at this point in chapter 3 really slows down. Uh, If uh, the book of Exodus were being shot as some sort of a film, uh, the first two chapters would have been all before the opening credits. You know how movies do that? There's kind of a whole bunch of uh, scenes that they show. There might be some plot that's outlined. Uh, It all gets kind of done very, very quickly. Uh, And then there's the opening credits, you know, Exodus and who directed it and who produced it and all of those sorts of things. And this would be the opening scene, the first time that everything really slows down and stuff starts to happen. Uh, we've, uh, everything, everything else has, that's taken place so far has moved really quickly. The people of Israel have gone from being 70 to a nation, basically in one sentence. Uh, Moses' entire life, 80 years of it, has been summarized in a handful of occurrences around his infancy, and then three events that took place when he was 40, and now we've moved ahead. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, God has heard the cries of his people, Uh, and has decided to act. He has remembered his covenant, remembered his promise, and so now he starts. And the first thing he does is he uh, asks Moses and invites Moses to participate with him in what he's doing. And that's what chapters three and four are really taken up with. But before we have a really good look at the interaction between Moses and God, which is a little bit strange in and of itself, just want to kind of draw your attention to a handful of the themes that were also introduced to in these opening chapters. Uh, Like any good opening scene, there's more going on than just the initial interaction between God and Moses. This is more than just introducing us to the main characters. There are some really important themes that are also introduced for us. So let me just really quickly uh, point them out to you just so you're aware of where we're going as we move our way through this book. The first theme that we're introduced to, the the first kind of foreshadowing that we're introduced to is that there's going to be a conflict to come and the rescue of God is going to go through Pharaoh. It's going to go through Pharaoh. Not only does Moses get sent to Pharaoh, but we're actually told in chapter 3, verse 19, that the Lord says to Moses, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And so we're, we're introduced to the, to the conflict that will come as the, as the drama gets played out between God saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh saying, no. And that will get played out in the next few chapters. Uh, we're also, though, introduced to the fact that there may be more going on here than just the exodus. That there's more going on than just a group of people being freed from oppression and brought to another land. Let me illustrate this geographically, so to speak. If you imagine where Moses is right now on a map, you don't really need to know anything else about it, but just imagine he's at the tips of my fingers right now, all right? For Moses at Horeb, Egypt, let me just change hands, Egypt was north and west of where uh, Moses was, and the promised land was essentially north and a little bit east. The most direct route from Egypt to the promised land was not through Horeb. And yet, in chapter 3, verse 12, God says that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So there's going to be a detour early in the piece. They're not going to go directly to the promised land. They're going to go to Horeb first. And this introduces to us that there's more happening than just freedom. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 18... Moses is instructed to go to Pharaoh, and this is the demand that they're to give, which is this. 
The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Now, the real reason that Moses is to raise this is not so that they have a long weekend where they can go out and have a kind of a church service in the wilderness and then come back. This also points to the fact that what's really going on in the Exodus is not just about freedom, but about a shift of allegiance. So in the ancient world, Pharaoh would have been seen as quasi-divine, as kind of the pseudo-divine figure. And the people of Israel are currently serving him. They're going to be set free in order to serve the Lord. And this idea of a shift of allegiance and the, the worship of God actually plays a fairly significant role in the story that comes. But the third theme that's introduced here for us in this interaction is that we end up learning a whole lot more about God. If you, have, if you had never read the story, if you'd started in Genesis and you'd read through, and this is the first time you'd read through Exodus, you get a hit of information about God. You know a whole lot more about God at the end of chapters 3 and 4 than you did prior to that. If you think about the story, if you're familiar with the story, God has kind of retreated from the front pages uh, since late in the book of Exodus, sorry, in the book of Genesis. Uh, in the book of Genesis, the last time that God was directly involved in some event was when he wrestles with Jacob at the uh, Jabbok River. That's the last time God is directly involved. And then he retreats from the story up until here. And most of what we know about God in the book of Genesis is kind of implied, right? We know that he's the creator and we know that he's powerful and we know that he's a judge because of the things that he does. And we know that he makes promises and we know that he's faithful to those promises even if the length of time we have to wait for those promises is longer than we might anticipate. And we know that he works with strange people, right? We know that he has a very different way of approaching problems. If he's going to create a nation, he takes an elderly couple who have no children and can no longer have them and works with them, right? And then that kind of pattern continues to unfold. But it's in chapter 3 that we find out a whole lot more about God. We find out here for the first time that God is holy, we would have assumed before this that he was holy because he's God, but this is the first time that there's been this sense of holiness. Uh, this is also the first time that we're told the name of God. It's, it's here in this story that God gives his name, the Lord, or Yahweh, to Moses. He is known by his personal covenant-keeping, promise-making name. This is new for us here. And all three of these little themes, the kind of the interaction with Pharaoh uh, and that there's more going on than just release from slavery and the knowledge of God all kind of interact with each other quite a bit in the story that comes. It's knowing God that's actually at the heart of the Exodus. It's why the people are taken out of Egypt and brought to Horeb before they go into the promised land so that they can know the Lord and be his people. And that's all linked up with this interaction between Pharaoh. Uh, when uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh in chapter 5 and says the Lord uh, wants us to, to, to go into the wilderness for three days, Moses' uh, demand is met by Pharaoh's response, which is this, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord, and so I will not let them go. And the story that unfolds is God's calling card saying this is who I am. 
And so all these themes, the knowledge of God and that there's more going on than just freedom into nothingness, but it's freedom from one allegiance to another, uh, and this idea of the conflict to come is all introduced here, and we'll unpack that in the weeks to come. But, but all of that takes a bit of a back seat, doesn't it, to the interaction between God and Moses, because it's a curious kind of interaction, right? Uh, we have expected something a little bit different. Uh, God's been in the background, but we know that his promises are being fulfilled. We know that he has plans and purposes. We know that he's heard and he's remembered and he's acted. And so now he has called Moses. And what we expect is Moses to say, yes, sir, don't we? And what we get is not that at all. It's a really strange interaction. You might be so familiar with it that you forget how strange it is. But God has basically invited Moses into a role, has called him into a position, has sent, this is what I want you to do. And Moses has done everything he can to get out of it. It's a little bit strange. Sort of strange. So I think it probably rings a little true with most of us. But we'll come back to that. So after God has caught Moses' attention with the burning bush and introduced himself to him as the God of the promises and of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after he has told Moses about his plan, and after he has sent Moses to Egypt to go see Pharaoh, Moses' first response is essentially to say, possibly, that God doesn't have the right person. He's quite polite about it and a little indirect, right? He begins in verse 11 by saying, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? <clears throat> in other words, I don't think I'm the person to go, right? And in typical fashion, God misses this, right? He misses the indirect attempt uh, and just says, Well, off you go. And so Moses tries another uh, route. And he says, Well, listen, I've got two questions. I mean, if I show up in Egypt and I go to the, the elders of Israel and I say, A burning bush spoke to me. <clears throat> They're probably going to want more information. Uh, so who am I going to say has sent me? And what if they don't believe me? Like, what if they don't believe that you've actually spoken to me? Uh, what do I do then? And once again, God just kind of misses those attempts for Moses to kind of get out of it. And so Moses turns his attention to his somewhat obvious flaws, right, in, in um, in chapter 4, it's quite a ways into the story, he says in verse 10, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And uh, some, uh, some scholars wonder if perhaps Moses had some sort of speech impediment or whether it was simply the fact that after 40 years working with sheep, he didn't talk good no more, right? Whatever it might be. Uh, but, but God uh, basically uh, needs to know. And so Moses tells him, listen, I'm not real good at speaking. And so if you want me to be your mouthpiece to Pharaoh, you might want to rethink that strategy. And again, God kind of ignores what he has to say. Which means that Moses then has to resort to just being direct. Chapter 4, verse 13, Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Which is not quite what we anticipate, is it? We kind of expect when God's invitation comes to Moses, a man whose, whose infancy has been protected by God, who has been raised in Pharaoh's court, who has a passion for justice and reconciliation, all those sorts of things. When God finally meets him and says, here's your opportunity, we kind of expect a yes, sir. And what we get is, can you just not send me, please? 
Now, you may have noticed I've skipped God's response. I'll come back to God's response in a moment. Because I want to ask, I think, a very important question about this interaction. It's a very important question because it, how we answer it determines how we hear ourselves in the story. Here's the question. Was Moses' reluctance justified? Or to put it another way, were his excuses valid? Did he have valid reasons, legitimate reasons why God should not send him? Now, here's what we probably often do. Many of us are familiar with the story, and we kind of know the outcome, don't we? I mean, Moses ends up becoming one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament. He has a relationship with God that is unlike anyone else's relationship with God bar Jesus Christ himself. Right? He speaks face to face with God. And God himself says, I don't speak to Moses in dreams, but I speak to him directly. Moses spent so much time in the presence of God that his face began to glow with the glory of God, the reflected glory of God. He ends up giving the law to the people of Israel, leading them for 40 years. He is a giant of faith. And so when we come to the question... Were his excuses valid? Was his reluctance justified? We can end up sort of saying to ourselves, well, no, they, they, they weren't valid. I mean, all he had to do was just see the potential in himself that God saw in him. He had to stop being so humble and just take up the opportunity, right? If only he kind of saw the end of the story, he would have confidence in himself to be able to, to take up what God had called him to do. But if we say that Moses' excuses are not valid, what that allows us to do is it allows us to make our own excuses under the pretense that ours are valid. You follow me so far? I mean, think about it. God calls and invites us to participate with him all the time. And what do we so often do? We don't say, yes, sir. I've been waiting for an opportunity to get involved. I can't wait to do what you've asked me to do. No, we pull a Moses, don't we? Oh, Lord, <laughs> who am I that you should send me? And, and, and what am I going to say if they ask who sent me? And, and how am I going to give them any kind of pr uh, proof that this is actually true? And, oh, Lord, let me list for you all the reasons why I shouldn't be the one that you send. You think Moses had it bad, being not very eloquent and being slow of speech. Why do you get a load of me? Right? Like, I've just got, all, I've got a long list of problems, and I have witnesses. I have witnesses. You talk to my family. Talk to my family, and they will verify for you all the reasons why I should not be involved in this. Uh, if you want to go farther than that, even my workmates can probably help out. Lots of people can give evidence and witness and testimony to the fact that while you don't make mistakes... You've come awfully close to making one right now. I'm saving you from the embarrassment of picking me. But I actually reckon that Moses' excuses were valid. He'd been 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, he'd been raised in Pharaoh's court, but 40 years is a long time. Anyone that he had known would have been gone by then. Uh, even if he doesn't have a speech impediment, the fact that he's not particularly eloquent is a pretty big problem when you are the mouthpiece of God. I think these are completely legitimate. And, and here's why that's important for us. Because God's response to Moses' legitimate excuses 
is, I believe, largely the same response that he gives to us. Would you like to hear what his response is? All right, let me paraphrase it for you. Ready? Here it goes. Since when is this about you? Since when is this about you? God says, rough paraphrase. It's not your promises, Moses, that I'm trying to fulfill. It's not your plans and purposes that I'm trying to to bring to pass. It's not your power that's going to bring this about. It's not your faithfulness that's going to make this all happen. This is not about you. And God meets every one of Moses' excuses with a statement of his own. Every time that Moses says, it's all about me, God says, no, it's actually about me. Moses says to the Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Yeah, but what if, what if they ask who sent me and, and what, uh, what will be the proof? And God says, then you tell them that I am the Lord. I am has sent you. And if you want some signs, what's that in your hand? That's the staff. Throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. He picks it up, it becomes a staff. Put your hand in your cloak. He pulls it out, it's leprous. He puts it back and it's clean. And if all else fails, take some water and pour it on the ground, it will become blood. Those are your signs. Oh Lord, I'm not particularly eloquent and I'm slow of speech. And God says, who made the human mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Go, I will teach you what to say. Oh, Lord, would you please send someone else? Fine, I will also send Aaron with you. Not quite what I meant. Since when is this about you? Moses is being invited to participate in God's plans and purposes. And notice in this passage that at no point does Moses inform God of something he wasn't aware of. It's not as if Moses says, Lord, I, like I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't speak good. And God goes, wow, yeah, you don't. Wow. Oh, wow. I really, I almost sent you to Egypt. That would have, whoo. Do you know any other shepherds in the area who are looking part-time gigs? Why? God is not caught off guard because guess what? God knows all that. And he knows all that about you. You will not inform God about something in your life that he is not already aware of. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your frailty. He knows your anxiety. He knows your doubts. He knows all that. And he invites you and I to participate anyways. Because it's not about our strength. It's not about our promises. It's not about our work. It's it's actually about him and what he is going to be doing in the world. I mean, just think about this for a moment. You know, Moses is, is being invited to participate in the greatest rescue story in the Old Testament. I mean, this is the story whose echoes bounce everywhere in Scripture that Jesus himself even takes up and uses to to interpret and make sense of his own ministry, his own death, his own resurrection. This is the story. Moses is going to be part of history. 
Who wouldn't want to be part of history? And Moses says, I don't. And God continues to do amazing work, doesn't he? He invites you and I to be a small part of his work in bringing transformation to people's lives. As he brings people from death to life, from darkness to light, from being orphans to being brought into the family of God. Who wouldn't want to be a part of the transforming work of God in someone else's life? Who wouldn't want to be part of the transformative work of God in our world? And we say, oh Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. The invitation stands. Let me remind you about what is written over our door as you leave this morning. Those words from John 20, 21, because they're there all the time, you probably don't see them very often, but let me remind you about them once again. Jesus says these words to his disciples and through his word to us, as the Father sent me, I am sending you to do the same things that the Father sent Jesus, to be involved in the same work that Jesus has been sent to do, to be part of his renewing and transforming of the entire world, to make all things new in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week, sometime, someplace, the Holy Spirit is going to burst into flame in your heart and invite you in. I can guarantee it. An opportunity to speak, an opportunity to pray, an opportunity to give a Bible to someone, an opportunity to begin reading the Word with them, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to call someone who's just kind of landed on your heart for no apparent reason, an opportunity to be a part of the transformative work of God in this world. And what will you say this week? What will you say this week when that happens? And I pray that it won't be what Moses said. Because it is not about you. It's about what God is doing in the world. And doesn't that just set us free? Doesn't that set us free to serve? Doesn't that set us free to say yes because it's not actually about my strength or my ability or my holiness or my righteousness or my wisdom or my whatever else it might be. All I need to say is, yes, Lord, here I am, I'll go. And it may be difficult and it may be daunting, but it's ultimately God's task, his mission, his promises, his power at work and people just like you and me. Amen? Amen. How will you respond to the invitation of God to join in with His plans this week? I hope you choose to participate in the freedom that comes from knowing it's not about us, but about God. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at guymeabaptist.org.au. We hope you join us again as we listen for God's invitation to join in with His work. Just a reminder that this series in Exodus will be broadcast on ACC-TV later this year. You can follow New Horizons TV on Mondays at 10 p.m. or Thursdays at 8.30 a.m. and watch previous sermons on our website. 
May your eyes and ears be open and your heart soft to the invitation of the Spirit to join in God's renewing work in Jesus. God bless.